I've always been kind of a pacifist. When I was a kid, my father told me, never hit anyone in anger unless you're absolutely sure you can get away with it. Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the music. You can't have the Pretender's first album. That's mine. I bought it. You did not. The catchphrases. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And the wannabes. Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Homosexuals. No, we're not homosexual, but we are willing to learn. Do you have any hobbies? I collect spores, molds, and fungus. Life doesn't care about your vision, okay? Stuff happens, you just gotta deal with it. Roll with it. That's that's the beauty of it all. Heat him up. Do Ray. He gone. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears, and today we mark the passing of an 80s comedy legend, the great. Harold Ramis. I met her on a Monday and my heart stood still. With me again today, with him, every podcast is like Groundhog Day. It's Brad in LA. Hey, Steve. Uh, man, this stinks. I would rather not listen to or record podcasts about the passing of our 80s heroes. Is this the first podcast you've done um, where an 80s legend has passed? Uh, yeah, Steve, this is the first one that... Um, that I've been involved in. Yeah, we've done we've done several over the years, um, very sad ones. John Hughes one especially. Um, oh, boy, that Michael was a Michael Jackson. One. I don't know if we ever did a full Michael Jackson one because we felt like we'd already covered him so many times. And um, Patrick Swayze was another one. And um, Corey Haim. But this one was uh, very shocking for some reason. Tell me where you were when you first heard the news. I was, I was sitting at my desk. It's been a really hectic week, so... Well, it's been a really hectic month, but that aside, uh, I have not had a lot of time to just browse the internet, and I got a text message from my friend Miles, and uh, my jaw just dropped, and I exclaimed, oh my God, and like people in the offices on either side of me got up and like, what happened, what, what? Yeah, Yeah. Um, it happened Monday morning, and it happened actually, I think, just after midnight, a Monday morning in Chicago, um, uh, Harold Ramis had been suffering from an autoimmune uh, autoimmune inflammatory vasculitis, which I understand is a very rare disease involving the swelling of blood vessels. Yeah, it's supposed to be extremely painful. Very, very much so. He was 69 years old, and he had been suffering, I guess, from this for about four years. And I don't think it was popular knowledge. I found out about it Monday afternoon. I got a text from my old editor at the time saying, are you going to write anything about Harold Ramis? And I, and I thought... I wrote back. I'm like, why? Yeah. And I'm like, and as soon as I wrote that, I'm like, oh God, he's. I hope he didn't die. Yeah. I think I texted you as soon as I got that text, and you were like, I'm working on the blog entry right yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. 
And as it always is when I write a blog entry about someone I really care about who's died, I I was tongue-tied. I did not know what to say. I started writing a straight obituary. Then I started getting kind of angry about it. And then I started trying to take things in perspective and talk about how why, why it was we loved them and stuff like that. And it just kind of spiraled from there. That's what I know. And that's why I know the person's important when I can't focus enough to write it. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. I, I, I just, it was like a kick to the gut. I mean, I obviously he was not a young man, but as you say, we didn't really know he was sick. Um, it just kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, it's, that's twice in two weeks for me last week. Uh, you know, we found out about Bob Casali of Devo passing away and it was the same kind of reaction for me. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, the, the nerds of my youth are passing away. Yeah, and I think to some degree, I mean, people in the 80s kind of associated a little bit when um, Philip Seymour Hoffman died because he was our age. He, he didn't appear in any, right. any 80s movies, but he was, he was, I think, 46 or 47 years old when he died, so it felt personal too. But I think the thing with, with, with Harold Ramis was, and Philip Seymour Hoffman, I mean, he was... I, I think everyone kind of knew he had an addiction problem. He was definitely a very extreme yeah. personality. You know, when people like John Candy or, or die, I mean, you figure, oh, well, you know, maybe the obesity caught up to him. But there's just something about Harold Ramis where you're just like, no way. He's, he's, yeah, he's just such he's an everyman. good guy. Yeah. You know, in the, in the, well, we'll talk some more about this, but in the, in the movies where he's paired up with Bill Murray, you know, he is the, He's the the normal guy of the of the group, right? You know, he's not the zany one. He's not the one that has the crazy plans. He's the no. one that is like, okay, I'm the long suffering friend that gets dragged along on these adventures. Are you going? Are you going AWOL? No, I'm deserting. You idiot! You desert now. It's a federal offense. But here's what I think is even even more interesting. He was he might have been one of the original cool nerds. Ghostbusters comes out in 1984, which is the same year as Revenge of the Nerds. His character as a Ghostbuster is the nerdiest of the nerdy oh, Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. He's the science suddenly, guy. Yeah. Suddenly being a nerd is cool. I mean, it would take decades later before everybody in Silicon Valley you know, started making you know, billions of dollars. But, but Harold Ramis in the 80s was part of the nerd culture that made it work. And he was still you know, producing. He was still directing. He was still writing. It just really hurt. I mean, I just thought, oh, my God. I mean, here it was. I don't think it's been like maybe two months since I wrote my last item about Ghostbusters 3, yeah. which was a project he was really committed to working on. Yeah. And, and you know, we won't see that now, obviously, and, and that's neither good nor bad. Yeah. But um, Well, you know, I've never seen Ghostbusters 2. Really? <laughs> I, now I may me? have I may have to go and watch it. But yeah, I just I didn't hear good things. It was, you know, it was in that kind of <sighs> that saddle time when I wasn't going to the movies. And uh I just thought, you know what? I don't need another Ghostbusters. The first one is perfect. It's just it's so good. There's something very important I forgot to tell you. What? Don't cross the streams. Why? It would be bad. I'm fuzzy on the whole good bad thing. What do you mean bad? 
Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. All right, that's bad. Okay. All right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon. I have a really horrible Ghostbuster story, and I, I hear, I know you have a Ghostbuster story too. So why don't you go with yours first? Okay, so Ghostbusters, as you say, came out summer '84. Uh, this is another movie theater story. So if you're tired of those, just fast forward a couple minutes. Uh, <laughs> but I was working at the movie theater in the small town I grew up in, Western Oklahoma. And I don't know if you know this, but the way that the movies get uh, tra- the films themselves get transported around is on the Greyhound. And so on Thursday night, we'd go down to the Greyhound station and get the cans with the film and go back and you'd assemble the reels into one big platter. And when we get something big like Ghostbusters, we would, you know, we would stick around after the theater had closed for the night and we would watch the new movies, you know, on, on Thursday night. And, you know, we felt like, oh, we're getting away with something, you know, we're watching it before anybody <laughs> sees it, which, you know, obviously not true, but still it was, it was, you know, it was fun. So I had, I hadn't seen a, a trailer for this movie. I hadn't seen a commercial. The only thing I knew about it was the poster, which like. Uh, okay, it's a ghost with the circle and the line through it. Uh, all right. Go into the theater. I'm surrounded by all my coworkers, you know, and we're just, you know, we're eating pizza and drinking, whatever, and, and the movie's on. And it just was a revelation. It was so funny. I had zero expectations for it. And we were just roaring through the whole thing. It's just absolutely hilarious. And one of my, one of the few instances where I really remember seeing something in the theater and remember the, the film and remember how everyone reacted. It was just this, this great kind of shining moment in that summer. The whole building is a huge superconductive antenna that was designed and built expressly for the purpose of pulling in and concentrating spiritual turbulence. Your girlfriend lives in the corner penthouse of Spook Central. She's not my girlfriend. I find her interesting because she's a client and because she sleeps above her covers four feet above her covers. She barks, she drools, she claws. It's not the girl, Peter, it's the building. Something terrible is about to enter our world and this building is obviously the door. So you'd never heard of it. I, on the other hand, I think I saw it maybe in the second week that it came out. And so people had already seen it and people were already talking about it. Yeah, the quotes were probably already in the, well, in the theme yeah. song or whatever. Yeah, so um, let's see, I would have been, I guess... A senior, maybe, or junior in uh, high school at the what, time. Yeah, it was the summer after our junior year. Okay, that's okay. So I'm working at McDonald's. You're working in the movie theater. I'm working at McDonald's. Actually, I worked at McDonald's too that summer. Oh, okay. Well, there's yeah. another parallel. But anyway. So, and this, this story, I, I know I've told this story before in the podcast, but I, I, you said you don't remember it, so I'll tell it again. Um, I was working at McDonald's, and there was somebody at the counter who was kind of checking. I, I worked on the grill. All the guys in our McDonald's worked on the grill. If you were a female, you worked the front. If you're a guy, you worked the grill. That's just the way it was. Okay, sure. And um, there's this customer out there who's kind of checking me out. <laughs> I'm thinking, do I know her? I don't think I know her. <laughs> and um, so, I, so, <laughs> so, I mean, Toast I, I don't buns, know. ma'am. Yeah. So I, I come around from the counter. I'm like, hey, you know, I, I do I know you? She's like, no, I just, you know, trying to get your attention. I'm like, why? Because Mission of my. Accomplished. I'm like, why? Because of my spiffy outfit. Because I, I mean, I in do Oklahoma, look good in greasy polyester. Polyester, my friend. Oh my god! And you could never get the smell of burgers. No. Oh my uh, gosh! It was just, it was awful. It's awful to this day. I mean, I walk into McDonald's and I think of that that greasy polyester. I can't, I can't eat there anymore. I, yeah. I haven't been able to eat there since I stopped working there. I can still eat there, but uh, I shouldn't. 
And um, so I get her phone number. So I, so I get her phone number. I ask her out, and I man, decide. We're, we're, Steve, we're you're the go- man. I know what those uniforms looked like, and they were not flattering on anybody. And you're yeah. getting girls' phone numbers. You make yeah, me yeah. ill. <laughs> so I, I get her phone number. I ask her out, and and we're gonna go. We're gonna go see Ghostbusters at the Countryside Village Square for, um, <laughs> which is literally like. 50 yards from where my mom now lives in, in countryside. So every time I go see my mom, I relive the horror of my Ghostbuster story. Oh, no. And so we go and we're waiting in line and waiting in line and we're just talking and chit chat and everything. And at some, I guess at some point, I drop an F bomb in the course of my conversation. Yeah. And I'm sure I didn't use it like as a verb, like when this whole thing's over, I'd like to go home and. <laughs> no, I'm sure it was just like. I, <laughs> I'm it sure was more it was of like, a more of a modifier. Oh yeah, like oh, I know history teacher. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And at that moment, she just kind of oh, huh. And so we go and we see the movie, and she's not talking. She's not even looking at me. There's, there's, so there's no, there's going to be no the old uh, yawn with the yard, you know, the arm, <laughs> and reach picture, around. I'm picturing it as we speak. There's no hairy knuckle uh, hand holding. Nothing. I mean, she. I mean, I ask her if she wants to drink. No. Do any popcorn? No, nothing. I mean, just I mean, wow. she's turned ice cold. So the movie's over, and we're getting ready to leave. And uh, I'm like, "Did I? What, you know, what's? Do you want to get something to eat?" She's like, "No, please, just take me home." I'm like, "I don't understand. Did I do something wrong?" She's like, "Well, I just I don't date people who use profanity." Hmm. I'm well, like, "You did tonight, did, sweetheart." Did I, I'm like, "Well, did I? Did I use profanity?" She's like, "Yes, sir, you did. You used the f word." I'm like, "I did." And so I okay, well I'm sorry. Well, I don't date people who say that, so just take me home. So I, I take her home and as I'm dropping her off and letting her out of the car, um, she says to me, she turns to me, she's like, Well, if I never see you again, have a nice life. Jeez. <laughs> and so that's actually that same line's been given to me twice. In Thanks my for life. nothing, sweetheart. But to this day, I associate that horrible date. With Ghostbusters, oh, and I, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't enjoy the movie. It's so good. It's so good, Steve. I know, but I mean, it's ruined for me. Well, you know, now it's, it's ruined. Again. Ruined. It's, it's ruined. ruined. And uh, now, so anyway, so to me, Ghostbusters two, whatever. You know, I, I kind of enjoyed it myself because at least I wasn't on a crappy date during it. <laughs> so such but, uh, such much anger in this one. Uh, well, that's that's pretty lousy. Um, it, it, you know, it's funny you'd say that. I, since having kids, I have just kind of subconsciously stopped swearing, unless I am away from them, and occasionally I'll forget they're in the back of the car or something. <laughs> like, Dad, like, oh yeah, sorry. Well, I, I live with my girlfriend, and she has a thirteen-year-old, and um, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm I try to be on my best behavior not to do it, and so we come up with alternative phrases that we're allowed to use. Yeah. So I'm now allowed to say crab sticks. Well, it, you know, Instead if you hear me crap. say holy smokes on the podcast, that's because that's kind of my go-to. Like, yeah. you know, I, I can say that. That's I can right. say that anytime. Right. So I can't wait. So I guess she's PG now. So she's P, so I, she can watch PG-13 movies. There you go. That means I can let her watch Red Dawn and stuff like that. Wolverines! Hey, I guess at this point we should make a note that. Um, as much as we love Harold Ramis for his acting in the 80s, he's probably better known and achieved better success or greater success as both a writer and a director. Yeah, I would say that's true. So for, for, for those who don't really know too much about his life, he grew up in Chicago. He's a native son of Chicago. Um, 
got his break originally working for some of the local newspapers and being the joke editor at Playboy magazine. Yeah. How's that for a job? I know. I mean, if that's all you did in your life, that would still be pretty good. Free drinks for this man. Yeah. And uh, he he made his break. He got his break into comedy on uh, SCTV. Yep. And from what I understand, I I guess he was on the TV show. Wasn't there a National Lampoon TV show? I don't know if it's a TV show. I think there was a a like an off Broadway stage show, like a, a theater production. They would do live comedy. I don't know if it was like improv or or what, but virtually everybody who was in that National Lampoon show went on to be on. Um, Saturday Night Live, except Harold Ramis, right? Uh, SCTV. And I, I remember when I was reading all the the great tributes to him that you see online. I remember reading one in the Chicago Tribune, and it, Harold Ramis talked about his days in Chicago, and the first time he was ever on stage with John Belushi. Yeah, that's a great story. And he talks about that was the moment he kind of realized that he was never going to be that type of comedian he was always going to be like the second banana type because he wasn't willing to go as far for the joke as belushi was yeah yeah so some of the other things he's he's done that 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 a lot of people probably have forgotten he wrote meatballs 1979 which uh one of the things that started his relationship with uh bill murray yeah Uh, he wrote animal house which i don't think I, I, i i didn't realize that I didn't realize he had written Animal House until the I saw his obituaries. No, me neither. I, I was like, well, what, one of 20 writers? No. I mean, and if you want to talk about great comedies of the last, I mean, great comedies of the entire century, certainly the second half, Animal House has got to be, what, top five, top yeah. three? Yeah, it's, it's great. It is just, let's see, AFI put it at number 34 for the 100th wow. funniest movies ever. God, what was number one? I'm sorry, 36. Um, it is Some Like It Hot is number one. Some Like It Hot. Oh, that's an interesting choice, 1959. Uh, number two on the list? Tootsie? This is a weird Tootsie. list. Why would Tootsie be number two? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Anyway. Very strange. It's on the list. It's on the top 100. Really, I mean, yes. really, that's, you know, that's one it's of those things subjective. where if you the list, then placement is kind of up to taste. Right. So Animal House, Meatballs, two of my favorite movies. I own them both on DVD. Caddyshack. Unbelievable. And that's where he kind of gets his start with um, dealing with actors who like to improv. Right. Caddy. If all you ever did in your life was write Caddyshack. Did he write Caddyshack or did he direct? I mean, yeah. I know he directed it. Did he also write it? He directed it too. He wrote it too. I didn't know that he – I didn't realize that. Of course, a lot of it, a lot of it was improv. Yeah, sure. Keep in mind. So, I mean, to say – it's like saying you're the writer of uh, Spinal Tap to some right. degree. The script for Caddyshack came together like literally scene by scene. So what? So let's uh, dance. Stru- <laughs> so let's dance. Hey, we're all going to get laid. <laughs> um, that, that was uh, improvised by uh, Rodney. But uh, Stripes and Ghostbusters. I mean, Animal House, Meatballs, Caddyshack, Stripes, Ghostbusters. So in a face-off between two uh, – this is, sounds horrible. In a face-off between two dead Chicago-based directors, Harold Ramis versus John Hughes. John Hughes. Jeez, I mean, you have to say Harold Ramis has a better resume. I think he does. But the, what I would argue for John Hughes, though, is that he had – I mean, he created a shift Yeah. in how – teens were portrayed in movies no i i agree with you i think that that i think that's exactly what hughes did but i think that um ramus has a deeper resume 
Yeah. I also tell you that they have this in common. Both their mo- their movies are somewhat timeless. And I give you an, as an example, Stripes. Uh, Stripes is the military comedy that, with him and Bill Murray together. And there's nothing really that happens in that movie that's not somewhat still kind of funny and relevant today. And of course, I mean, I got to believe everyone's favorite scene is uh, Bill Murray and uh, Harold Ramis talking to the Army recruiter. Now, there's a couple of questions that I have to ask you. They're a little personal. Uh, have you ever been uh, convicted of a felony or a misdemeanor? That's uh, robbery, rape, car theft, that sort of thing. Convicted? Yeah. No. Never convicted. That's good. Good. Are either of you uh, homosexuals? You mean like flaming or? Well, it's a, it's a standard question we have to ask. No, we're not homosexual, but we are willing to learn. Yeah, would they send us someplace special? Guess that's uh, no on both. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just great. That's the 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 Ziski character is, in a nutshell. Is he's kind of like you said earlier. He's kind of the second banana there, but he's the guy that that. I don't know, maybe I, this is just giving you more insight into me than you need, but th- that's the relatable character in this movie. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's, that's who I am in this movie. I'm the guy yeah. who gets talked yeah. into going into the military, and then when my zany friend tries to bust out, and that's one of my favorite parts of that movie, is he chases him down. I was like, you're going to finish this because you talked me into this, <laughs> you idiot. I love that part. I, I, I think we've covered Stripes before, kind of like a, very early in Stuck in the history. If you go back, I think there's a, a show in the first, like, 30 or 40 about uh, guy movies. Yeah. And and I remember we were arguing whether or not Stripes was a guy movie or not. Of course it's a guy movie. Your left. Come on, rhythm. Hut, two, three, four. Black guys. Help the white guys, okay? Uh, on top of being a writer, he, he also can, uh, did a lot of screenplay work, um, slightly different than being a writer. Um, he's responsible for the screenplays for uh, Back to School. Yeah, it's funny. I have a story about that. I used to work with a guy who wrote, uh, was a writer, was in the, the Writers Guild for a little while, and his writing partner worked a lot on Back to School because he also wrote a lot of jokes for Rodney. And Rodney Dangerfield basically came in, changed a couple jokes, and took the writing credit away from this guy, which I guess happens all the time. I mean, if yeah, you're a joke writer, what are you going to do? Say, hey, why, I want my credit. And I'm like, okay, you can not have a job then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Back to School is one, uh, Club Paradise, Armed and Dangerous, Groundhog Day, and uh, yeah, that's got to be We easily. haven't even touched on that yet. I know. It's a 90s movie, but, I mean, we're not going to pigeonhole uh, Harold Ramis into the 80s. He, uh, he writes and directs Groundhog Day again with Bill Murray. I still say Groundhog Day is easily one of my favorite comedies oh, of all time. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, and all the, I love reading the, the, well, you know, how long was it really? You know, was it 10 years? Was it a thousand years? Was it a hundred thousand years? Like how long did he recirculate that day? There's an urban legend that, uh, Harold Ramis's relationship with Bill Murray kind of ended during, uh, the filming of Groundhog Day. Yeah. I, I've read that as they, well. Uh, yeah, yeah. They differed. They differed on the views of what the film should be about. Murray wanted to be. Uh, more philosophical. Ramis wanted to basically stick to the idea that this is a comedy. You know what? I think that I think it, it's a pretty good balance of both of them because there's a philosophical level there that's kind of left to the reader to pick up on. Yeah, I mean it's it's a much more um, 
it's a deeper movie than it first lets on. Yeah, to exactly. But I still think it's a great comedy. And, and there's not a month or a year that goes by that I don't at least see that on cable and watch at least half of it. So I know that um, four of um, Ramos's movies are among the AFI's 100 funniest movies. Ghostbusters, Groundhog Day, Animal House, and Caddyshack. You could with, do a um, lot worse. Yeah, Meatballs, Stripes, and Back to School were all nominated but didn't make the I final. I think Back to School is hilarious. I love Back <laughs> I love to School. Back to School. And not just because of Boingo. Cars. <laughs> I love Joyce. She's my favorite writer. <laughs> or, uh, call me sometime when you have no, no class. class. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just, yeah. You don't lie to me. You lie to girls. I'm it's waiting like... to use that line on my son. I'm waiting. <laughs> I know the time is coming. I know the time is coming. What's also really kind of cool, too, is um, after his death, you saw all these uh, people that he worked with, his contemporaries, come out. And, of course, no one's going to say – there's not, there's not a bad word you could say about No, Herman. but there's also – I mean, if there's – you know, and this kind of brings us back to Bill Murray. Bill Murray and he I, – I think they were hadn't talked uh, and were not close. They, they may have reconciled towards the end. There's some conversations hey, about well, that. But right, the, right. The, the statement that came out today, Bill Murray didn't make a statement. His lawyer released a statement. I was like, oh, you know. Yeah, well, Bill Murray's sad. a strange guy. I read today that Bill Murray visited him during this last little part of his life when he was sick. Bill uh, Murray did I hope come to true. see him. I really do hope that's true. I mean, look, people, life is short. If if you have people that you're friends with, that you've worked with, that you, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not a self-help guy, but put your pride aside for a second and call your friend that you haven't talked to in 10 years. They miss you, too. Bill Murray actually did release a statement, as far as I know, and what he said was um, about Harold Ramis. He earned his keep on this planet. God bless him. That yeah, seems yeah. a little tepid well, to me. It's, we're in the Twitter world now. It's like nobody wants to write more than 140 characters. Uh, Dan Aykroyd wrote, may he now get the answers he was always seeking. Interesting. I love the the Judd Apatow stuff. You know, he's, he made every almost every movie which made me want to become a comedy director. When I was 16 years old, I interviewed him for my high school radio station, and he could not have been more gracious and hilarious. How people treat kids and animals tells you a lot about what they're like. Uh, Billy Crystal, who um, uh, Ramis worked with on Analyze This and Analyze That, said, um, called him a wonderful husband and dad, a big loss to us all. Um, John Cusack, who I think some people forget, he worked with Harold Ramis on The Ice Harvest. Yeah, I I would not no, have made he that He said um, his quote was, quote, Harold was a master, a gentle, wise, subverter, and a decent, honest kind of directors I've ever worked with. So I, I'm really it's, – it's great. I love reading these. I could I could read them all day long. Well, so I, I kind of gave you my favorite kind of moments, on-screen moments. Do you have any that jumped out at you when you were kind of looking through clips and things? You know, it's funny because one of the favorite moments I have from him – wasn't an 80s mo- moment at all. It's from the movie Knocked Up um, when Judd Apatow worked with him. Oh, yeah. Um, and I used that quote in the montage at the beginning of the show. There's this great line where um, he's talking to Seth Rogen and he's telling him about you know, life and everything and how you just have to take it as it comes. And that's the beauty of life. That's, that's what makes it so cool. You can't, you can't prepare for it because you never know what's going to come next. And um, I was listening to that sound ag- sound advice. Yeah. yeah, I was listening to it again, um, you know, tonight, and you know, getting kind of teary about it. I thought, you know, here's this guy you know, passing along. And from what I understand, he improvised all his lines. None of his lines are written for Knocked Up. 
Oh, I didn't know he that. He sat down at a table with Seth Rogen, and he just made up his lines. Just went full dad on him, huh? Yeah, went full dad on him. And so it's this moment That's where great. I think That's he's... That's great. That's very honest. Right, where Harold Ramis is really transferring um, advice to a, to another person, and it's it's more Harold Ramis than it is Seth Rogen's dad. And it's a, it's a great mm. moment. Let's listen to it one more time. I'm going to be a grandfather. You happy about that? Absolutely. Delighted. This is a disaster. No, this is not a disaster. It is. An earthquake is a disaster. Your grandmother having Alzheimer's so bad she doesn't even know who the f*** I am. That's a disaster. This is a good thing. This is a blessing. I have a vision for how my life would go, and this definitely is Wait, not is this your it. vision? Are you living your vision right I now? I am kind of living my vision. Well, that is sad, I'm telling you. Life doesn't care about your vision, okay? Stuff happens, you just got to deal with it. You roll with it. That's that's the beauty of it all. That's fantastic. So the the other one that kind of comes to mind for me is uh, going back to your favorite Ghostbusters. And this is something I just noticed like in the last couple of years. And I've seen this movie, I don't know, a hundred times. It's probably not an exaggeration. But in the scene where uh, they've just captured their first ghost and Dr. Venkman has given the prices – I just noticed the last, like I said, in the last couple of years, Spengler is signaling to him how much <laughs> stuff is going to be. It's like, we're going to have to ask for, and he holds up, he kind of puts four fingers, kind of just rubbing his neck. He's like, $4,000 for the containment, and then he kind of scratches, you know, with one finger. And that's another one for the proton charge. So that's five big ones. I'd never noticed that before. I'd it's never noticed hysterical. that. Hysterical. I'd hysterical. never noticed Go back that. and watch that scene. Oh, it's yeah. very funny. Well, you, you can bet your life that I'm going to probably spend um, this weekend watching all of the Harold Ramis movies again, and with a, with a big bottle of whiskey... Which is about yeah. the only way I can get through it all, and, and a heavy heart. Yeah, uh, but uh, you know, it's good that we still have this stuff to laugh at. Let's hope that we don't have to gather together again anytime soon and go through another one of these shows because they really take it out of me. Um, for our friends out there, hey, if you have a favorite Harold Ramis moment, add it, go to our Facebook page. Just search for Stuck in the Eighties. We're there. If you're not if you're not already a member, join. Uh, we put updates there all the time. Uh, the blog is still around. In the meantime, I leave you with the immortal words of the great Harold Ramis. I don't know what kind of soldier I'm going to make, but I want you guys to know that if we ever get into real heavy combat, I'll be right behind you guys every step of the way. We remain here, hopelessly, stuck in the 80s. Popping her fingers and shuffling her feet, singing doo 